You're listening to Press TV's podcast. This is episode one. After years of speculation, leaks and rumors, the White House has finally published its long-awaited so-called the deal of the century. Under this vision, Jerusalem will remain Israel's undivided, very important, undivided capital. My vision presents a win-win opportunity for both sides, a realistic two-state solution that resolves the risk of Palestinian statehood to Israel's security. Peace requires compromise, but we will never ask Israel to compromise its security. Can't do that. Your historic decisions to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital, to recognize Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights, to uh, reaffirm Israel's legal claims in Judea and Samaria. Mr. President, I believe that down the decades, and perhaps down the centuries, we will also remember January 28, 2020, because on this day, you became the first world leader to recognize Israel's sovereignty over areas in Judea and Samaria that are vital to our security and central to our heritage. The unveiling of the so-called deal of the century has triggered regional and international condemnation. The leader of Iran's Islamic Revolution says Trump's attempt to end the West Asian conflict will die sooner than Trump himself. Ayatollah Sayyid Ali Khamenei says the Americans have made a deal with the Zionists over something that is not theirs to give away in the first place. The Secretary General of the Lebanese Hezbollah resistance movement says Washington has committed a major crime. Sayyid Hassan Nasrallah has slammed the initiative, saying it is aimed at eradicating the Palestinian cause. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan says it's not a peace project, but a project to expand Israeli occupation. The Malaysian Prime Minister says the US-crafted deal gives the green light to Tel Aviv's occupation of Palestine. Mahathir Mohammed says it will only bring more conflict to the region. EU lawmakers at the European Parliament also strongly condemned the plan, while Russia says the proposal is a violation of international laws and regulations. Meanwhile, protesters across the region poured their anger onto the streets following the announcement by Trump. Jafar Ramini is a Palestinian writer and political analyst. Will the Palestinians ever accept the deal of the century? Uh, the answer is no. They will never accept it. And it is designed as such. Uh, if I just may remind you that in the 1960s, Abba Iban, the then 
foreign minister of Israel said the Palestinians don't miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity, uh, which means they design everything they offer to us to be impossible for any Palestinian leader to accept, including Mr. Abbas, who's doing his best to accommodate them. And then they will say, you see, we gave them peace, we gave them land, and they refused. What are we to do? This is, this is an old trick, and I hope the people in Ramallah are uh, aware of this, and they will let the, no the world know that this is an old trick by the Zionist movement and Israel, always crying wolf, and always betraying us as non-partners for peace. I do not understand what Israel wants more than 78% of the historical land of Palestine. No, I do understand. They want 100% without any Palestinians in it. So what do you make of the Palestinian reaction to Trump's so-called deal of the century? Well, it's not a deal, it's a con. They are trying to twist the arms of the PA because PA is dependent on international donors, including the US. And if we look at Mr. Trump, even before he became a president, which is, which is an amazing thing to see, when he visited with APAC uh, during his campaign, he said the Palestinians will come to the table. I'll make sure they come to the table. Uh, Mr. Trump is an ignorant man. He has no idea about international relations, international foreign policy, or people or and history. He's a total ignorant man. He is a colonial himself. He's a misogynist. He's a narcissist. And he's a racist. He doesn't know the character of us, the Palestinians. We'd rather die standing up and not kneel. And the people of Gaza and the people of Jerusalem, especially the women of Jerusalem, uh, uh, prove this point uh, for anybody who cares to look and listen, that we Palestinians are willing to entertain peace, not surrender. The so-called deal of the century is nothing new in terms of an announcement being made to bring peace between Palestine and Israel with many examples of previous attempts being made in the past, from the Clinton era, dating all the way back to 1949. The truth of the matter is, no matter who attempts to make a deal, it's solely the name of the plan that changes, not the conditions, nor the ability to implement a just and lasting peace for the region. It's therefore amusing to see that Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli Prime Minister, states that the announcement of the deal will be a day that will go down in history. We will also remember January 28, 2020, because on this day, you became the first world leader to recognize Israel's sovereignty over areas in Judea and Samaria that are vital to our security and central to our heritage. But like many other deals that have been long forgotten in the sands of time, this is another deal that has been categorically rejected by all parties other than Israel. When the aim is to create lasting peace, both parties need to be treated fairly. Yet some see the deal as a successful result of bilateral diplomacy, something that's been achieved through Israel's commitment to a peaceful way forward. Yet with the voices of support coming from the occupiers of Palestinian land, it's easy to see the blatant delusional naivety of the Israeli population.
Charlotte Cates is the international coordinator of the Samadun Palestinian Prisoner Solidarity Network. Ms. Cates, welcome. If I could start by asking, how has the unveiling of the so-called deal of the century worked, you know, both to the advantage and disadvantage of the Palestinians? On the one hand, the fact that such a so-called deal can even be offered and presented in public, I mean, shows the complete and utter disregard that U.S. imperialism and Zionism have for the Palestinian people and their inalienable rights that are being confiscated on a daily basis. At the same time, the so-called deal of the century isn't something entirely new. It's part of the ongoing series of attacks on the Palestinian people that have stretched out over 100 years of colonialism and that have certainly really characterized the peace process from its very beginning. It's always been an attempt to liquidate the Palestinian people, their resistance, and their struggle for liberation. So on the one hand, you know, it's, it's a really appalling situation. On the other hand, nobody can say that the interests of Zionism and imperialism are not clear to everybody around the world. And that what, you know, we're looking at here is a detailed plan for the dismantling of the Palestinian people and their land, um, you know, throughout the entire land of historic Palestine. Charlotte Cates, the international coordinator of the Samadun Palestinian Prisoner Solidarity Network. Thank you very much for that analysis. The people of Palestine have seen their country shrink in size since the British mandate allowed the Zionist ideologies to claim land from the Palestinians, build settlements and slowly squeeze the Arab population into ever tighter corners. Yet at no time has any remorse or regret been shown by the Israelis or their allies across the world. The British have notoriously been supportive of the Trump deal, essentially endorsing the notion that Israel will slowly swallow up Palestinian land, and is something that the British divide and rule policy has been running for over a century. The so-called deal of the century is due to have a devastating impact on the Palestinian economy, with many rural landowners either being robbed of their land or forced into arid, unfertile corners of the country with no access to decent running water or productive arable land. So tight is the Israeli hold that landowners are no longer even able to reach their land in some cases. have uh, like a land, they took it and they built settlement. I can't get close to it. So with this deal, well, how are we going to get my land back? The deal allows nothing more than a carte blanche for Israel to totally separate Palestine, annexing the land and creating segregated pockets linked by Israeli-controlled corridors. The annexing planned by the Israelis see the West Bank and Gaza linked by a tunnel which will no doubt be controlled by the Israelis, and with such a big engineering project on offer, will be handed on a plate to Israeli companies to build and reap the financial rewards of doing so, if the plan ever comes to fruition. The fact of the matter remains, however, that the deal is nothing more than Israeli and US collaboration and sees only the interests of the two states and nothing more. Amani Al-Hindi Barakat is the organizer of Al-Awda. Can you tell us about the future of a possible unification of Palestinian factions on the backdrop of the unveiling of the deal of the century? Um, look, this is a geopolitical question. And as you know, it is interconnected uh, with larger forces than the Palestinians themselves. No doubt. Uh, unity can be achieved if Palestinians have self-determination. I also believe a true reconciliation requires sincere, constructive 
actions, not just talks or signing of agreements. The last reconciliation agreement was signed in Cairo in October 2017, and most of its terms were not implemented, including the lifting of many of the crippling sanctions that were imposed by the PA on Gaza, or holding general elections within one year and reaching an agreement on the formation of an interim government. Okay, so not as easy as many think. Now, will the resistance threaten Israeli U.S. plans? Reconciliations and unity within the Palestinians and the resistant forces will profoundly threaten Israelis and the U.S. policies. Um, I believe it would reclaim our agenda, transcending political infighting and reviving our national project. It will also disturb Israel's political and military tactics entirely and places uh, Tel Aviv and the U.S. on the defensive. So definitely, I think it's a threat to both uh, plans of Israel and the U.S. Okay, finally, Ms. Barakat, did you see the reaction of the international community as siding with the Palestinians? I think so. I think the international community, as well as the United Nations, have rejected Trump's colonial document and all have reiterated that Israeli-Palestinian conflict should be solved based on a United Nations resolution and international law. Uh, many have said this was this deal was um, violates international law. So let's not forget uh, that the majority of the world's population has always been on the side of the Palestinian people because of our just cause. Uh, governments, however, have different calculations and find themselves siding with the aggressors for political and economical and economic gains in the international arena. But for the most part, I think the international community have been uh, siding with the Palestinians, especially after the deal of the century. The deal announced by Trump and Netanyahu has included a pseudo-financial package that does not even exist in theory. With no concrete evidence that the $50 billion will be funded by the Persian Gulf states, on whom the US and Israel are so relying, how then can this plan truly have an economic side, when the true identity of the plan is only political? The worrying factor in the deal is the notion that nearly half of the promised money will go into reconstructing Egyptian infrastructure, building hubs for Egyptian energy supplies, and feeding Jordan and Lebanon sums of cash in return for maintaining the status quo of many of the Palestinian refugees forced out of their homes by the Israelis. However, when we examine the notion that money can buy anything, we have to arguably raise the question as to even if the entire sum of money was to be directly invested into Palestine, what would the chances be that the deal would then be accepted? Is Palestine therefore, after over 70 years of occupation, ready to sell their country for a cash offer? The truth that Palestine will never sell out, nor is the deal an economically viable one for the Palestinians, is a far cry from the delusional utopian dream stated by Donald Trump, who stated that Palestine will become an economic hub, with many trading partners, should the deal go ahead. Those that do wish to participate in this deal only have their self-interests at heart, 
and as numerous Arab regimes merge ever closer with Israel and the US, just how long is the list of countries Trump speaks of? And what hope is left when Arab Kingdom regimes disregard their own to appease others? Trump's so-called peace plan is labeled the deal of the century because according to Trump's logic, it is supposed to offer an even-handed and just solution to one of the world's most intractable conflicts. Instead, it does something very different. The deal of the century resurrects and restores grand apartheid, a racist political system that should have been left in the dustbins of history. Trump's Middle East plan is actual apartheid in this following report. Much of Donald Trump's long trail deal of the century came as no surprise. Over the past 18 months, Israeli officials had leaked many of its details. The so-called vision for peace unveiled last week simply confirmed that the U.S. government has publicly adopted the long-running consensus in Israel, that it is entitled to keep permanently the swaths of territory it seized illegally over the past half-century that denied the Palestinians any hope of a state. President Trump's plan for racial control and segregation should sound disturbingly familiar. Indeed, it should immediately bring to mind the Bantu homelands, which were the cornerstone of South Africa's Grand Apartheid. Like South Africa's Grand Apartheid, the Trump plan physically and politically separates Palestinians by placing them within a non-contiguous homeland and declaring them citizens of that homeland. Like South Africa's Grand Apartheid, the Trump plan grants the Palestinian homeland autonomy over civil matters like education and health care, while critical areas such as trade, immigration and security will remain under Israeli control. Like South Africa's Grand Apartheid, the Trump plan is politically slight of hand, a thinly veiled attempt to claim that Israel, a state that rules over roughly the same number of Jews and Palestinians, is actually a Jewish majority state. Also like apartheid South Africa, the Trump administration claims the homelands are a temporary solution. Once the indigenous population proves itself ready for self-governance, they will one day be granted something that resembles a state. As for the Palestinian right of return, the plan stipulates that there shall be no right of return by or absorption of any Palestinian refugee into what it referred to as the State of Israel. Using a combination of financial sticks and carrots, some of which were unveiled last June at the economic summit in Bahrain, the Trump administration want to force Palestinians to accept the quote-unquote peace plan and declare independence within their homeland, just as the apartheid South African government once tried to force the native black population to declare independence within their Bantu stance. It is thus clear that Trump's plan is not only an assault on Palestinian rights and freedom, but also an attempt to put forward a new world order that completely undermines international law. To talk about this apartheid plan by Trump with us from Ohio is Mr. Abbas Hamidi, founder and executive director of Al-Auda Palestinian Rights of Return uh, Movement. I want to thank you for being with us, uh, Abbas. Now, with Trump's deal of disaster, uh, Palestinians are being re required to accept a state on 15% of historic Palestine just after Israel had seized all the good 
agricultural land and the water sources in the country. What on earth were both Trump and Netanyahu thinking? Who, with his sane mind, would support such a deal? Um, as you know, this, this continued occupation of Palestine has been going on for uh, over 73 years now. And it is nothing new. Um, the Palestinians faced the first major Nakba in 1948, and then the second phase of the occupation of Palestine, which was in 1967. And then uh, the struggle was chased, as you know, in Jordan and chased in, in Lebanon itself. Uh, so this is a continued ethnic cleansing mm -hmm. of the Palestinian people and their struggle, basically. So this is nothing new um, as far as the Palestinians, as far as the organizations who have been on the ground um, fighting this illegal occupation of the Palestinian people. Uh, to be quite honest with you, we are not um, surprised. Mm -hmm. um, although it's, it should still be shocking, obviously, you know, because this is, as you mentioned, a continued assault on the Palestinian people. This is ethnic cleansing. Um, these are measures to create Bantustan. Uh, I don't even know if you want to call it uh, islands anymore. Because they're just shrinking, mm -hmm. you know, continuously shrinking. As you can see, the map, you know, in their vision is getting smaller and smaller. So mm -hmm. uh, we're still facing this today. Well, uh, Abbas, Trump's plan envisages no right of return for the Palestinians. Uh, and it seems that the Arab world will be expected to actually uh, foot the bill for compensating millions of uh, Palestinian refugees. Now, as a founder of the Al-Auda Palestinian Right of Return uh, movement, what was the first reaction for, uh, that came from Palestinian refugees in your area and those whom uh, your movement is connected to, whether across the U.S. or elsewhere in the world? Outrage. With one word, um, if you, you want to explain all these sentiments, it is outrage and, like I said before, it is continued outrage. Mm -hmm. Because these attacks, these assaults are uh, continuously launched against our people. Mm -hmm. I mean, and let's make no mistake about it. This is really not a Trump plan. This is a, a vision by the Israeli occupation, which is connected to his son-in-law, Kushner. Um, so this is, this is a vision that is in place, that is actually designed by the illegal Zionist occupation and uh, basically being put forward by Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. So this by no stretch of the imagination is, is an American plan. It, it's um, sadly an orchestrated plan by the Israeli occupation pressuring the United States to move forward with such measures. Um, and Donald Trump is going to find out, just like the others before him, the Palestinian people have not accepted these bogus deals, um, starting all the way from you know uh, the beginning of the struggle, all the way through several presidents, through Bill Clinton, uh, through Obama, and now Trump. He's mm -hmm. going to find out that the Palestinian people will reject anything short of the right of return of Palestinian refugees because one simple fact, without the right of return of the Palestinians, there is no Palestinian struggle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, uh, Abbas, uh, within the documents uh, of the Trump plan, and as you said, it is majorly a Zionist regime plan more than it is a Washington one. It says, and I quote, that the people of Gaza have suffered for too long under the repressive rule of Hamas. That's referring to the democratically elected Palestinian uh, movement, which is, along with two million uh, Palestinians, uh, is left under a hermetic Israeli siege in the impoverished and regularly targeted 
block, blockaded Gaza Strip. This is now has surpassed any propaganda. This is now straight out lies. It's fabricating uh, uh, events that did not even uh, happen. How do you guys face uh, such fabrications while doing the work that you do with the movement because you go out on different protests and try to educate people and tell them what is going on? How do you face this propaganda? Yes, well, it, it is a very, um, very harsh propaganda. Again, it, it's an assault. Um, this style propaganda has been going on for a long time. So basically, when you come out and you educate the American people um, within the movement, the Zionists will counter it with a measure of saying Hamas is the problem. So they shoot, they, they shoot the messenger, you know, and, and divert the message. So the Palestinian people are straightforward. They have a struggle that they're fighting for and they're fighting against an illegal occupation of their homes and lands, mm -hmm. their ancestral lands. So the way the Zionists uh, come up to counter this tactic is to continuously blame the victims. They blame Hamas. And as you know, Hamas came 40 years after the Israeli occupation of Palestine. Mm -hmm. So Hamas was elected by the people. They were a democratically elected government, uh, and they are also a resistance movement. Mm -hmm. So th they can twist and turn all the words they want. The bottom line is, uh, they created the situation. Uh, Hamas came into existence to fight their um, their measures in Palestine, their occupation. Thank you very much for listening to our first episode of our podcast series. And I hope that you liked our little collage of the week. Um, I know there is still a lot of room to grow. So please hit the comment section and tell us what you think about the show and how we can improve it. So until next week. Bye-bye.